Hey, well, good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you. I'm excited to be here with you. And uh, man, we're going to dive in this morning. Get your Bible out, Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And uh, get your note sheet out. It's a great way to follow along. I want to let you know uh, we are not fall, far from fall, okay? And, um, and we're not far from um, starting our fall series. I'm not going to tell you what that is just yet, but, uh, but man, it's coming up. And one of the things that we do in the fall is uh, with our fall series is we ask every single one of you to be in a small group for for about eight weeks, make an eight-week commitment. And uh, and so if you've never been in a small group, I want you to begin to think about that. And we're going to equip you in the coming weeks. It's going to be easy to find one and be a part of one. And so uh, really, really want you. I want to start sowing the seeds now for you and for your family. And uh, man, we make it easy for your family. We even provide child care for you. And we can t- discuss how we do that. But I uh, really want you to be, we try to make it as simple as possible for you to be in a small group. We try to overcome all the obstacles, that, as many as we can, that can be in your way, okay? So be thinking about that. Uh, we have been meditating our way through Colossians, okay? And I really wanted to take a summer and just um, just really take a small book of the Bible and go verse by verse through it. And, and uh, we always try to do that in the summer anyway, but uh, sometimes the letters are large and you got to take it in big chunks. I really wanted to slow down. And so hopefully you've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed putting it together. I feel like I have a piece of dust on my eyelash, which is driving me crazy. And, uh, and so, and, you know, anyway. Um, so yeah, let's jump in this morning. Last week, you know, Pastor Andrew here, Pastor David up at Gloucester did an incredible job as Paul transitions to now as a believer, if Christ is above all, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we have the capability as Christians to put off the old life, put off the sinful life, and now we're going to talk about the positive. We get to put on. We get to put on Christ, and, and there's some very practical implications of that, and really the rest of this letter is and, and will be those practical implications as we're putting on Christ. It, it affects our church life, and that's where we're going to park this morning. It, it affects our work life and how we work for our boss, and, and it affects our marriages, and putting on Christ affects the home. It affects our spiritual disciplines as we, in a couple weeks, unpack prayer. And, and, and so putting on Christ has some, some things that we now are, are encouraged to do and capable of doing because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and is molding us into the image of Christ. Uh, speaking of, of putting on, this is not going to be a shock to most of you. I, I, I don't generally put a whole lot of thought into my wardrobe, okay? Uh, now, we have two of our teaching pastors that, um, man, they're very, and they, they're great dressers, even, even you know, non-Sundays, great dressers. Pastor Andrew, Pastor Joey, you know, they put a ton of thought into how they dress, and, and it matters to them. I, I don't really get those kind of people, okay? Um, I, I have one in my home. My son is that way. My middle son really cares, you know, and he'll come down with two pair of shoes on. Dad, what pair of shoes do you think looks better? And my response is, we bought you two pair of shoes? Isn't one enough? Like, you know, like, why are we spending that money? And, and uh, so I get it, you know. And, and, and Pastor Andrew, I think, puts thought into what shirt looks better on the screen, right? I think he cares about that. And, and I appreciate that, you know. 
And, and they're great men, and they're humble men, and, and, and because, you know, I'm the pastor, they, they, I, I can tell when they're subtly and humbly trying to tr- change my dress behavior, okay? And, uh, and I just don't care, you know? But, a, you know, a couple years ago, um, we were approaching some banks and trying to get a loan so that we could buy this place. And, and I could see the horror in their eyes the day before when we are going to meet with a bank president. Like, you think he'll dress nice? You think he'll put a tie on, you know? And, and no. And so, uh, <clears throat> but a couple years ago when Pastor Andrew first got here, my very first Easter Sunday that he was here, I wore this. I can't even get it figured out. I wore this. This is, this is what I chose to wear on Easter Sunday. Isn't that great? There's a stain here. Maybe somebody can get that. This is what I wore, and it horrified him. Now, he was kind enough to not tell me, right? I now know it terrified him. He couldn't believe that I wore this on Easter Sunday. I now know, because we've later talked about it, he said, what, should, what possessed you to choose that? And I was like, I looked in my closet. I said, that one looks comfortable. All right, so that's, that's how I chose it. And so the next year on Easter Sunday, uh, at springtime, a couple weeks before Easter Sunday, I found this shirt on my desk with a note that simply said, please wear on Easter Sunday. (laughs) And in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, Good Friday. This probably represents Good Friday, right? This probably represents a resurrection. So um, fair point. So... You know, so let's just throw that over there. If somebody could wash that this week, that would be great. So um, I'll wear that next week. Um, but as Christians, like we, the, Paul encourages us now to put on. And, and actually the word put on is, is like the same word we use for putting on clothing. And we can choose to put on Christ. And so Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this. And so last week it was take off or take off, put off the things of the flesh, the sinful nature. You're in Christ. Above all, Christ. Christ is now in you. You've identified as a Christian. You're identifying as Christ. And in verse 10, he now transitions to the things we put on. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator, of its creator. And so, you know, we are encouraged by Paul to put on the new self. And, and the new self is being renewed, which we'll see at the end of this passage, by the Word of God. We, the Word of God renews us so that we know what our Creator expects, and we're being renewed into the image of our Creator. But as a Christian this morning, you, you're capable of, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, of putting on the new self. Christians can actively grow to be more like Christ. And in the coming weeks, when we talk about the workplace, we talk about marriage, and we, we talk about spiritual disciplines. Like, if your marriage is a train wreck, it could be that Christ really is not above all in your home. It's not working itself out in your, in your marriage. And so the more, and by the way, the more we're molded into the image of Christ, the more human we are. I want you to think about that. I think a lot of people, we're gonna, I'm really going to hammer on this in a little bit later in the sermon, but I really think many of us, when we're thinking through what it means to be human, you know, who, you know, who, make, who I am or whatever, we sometimes think that Christianity and God's Word is restrictive. 
And so we start talking about holiness and righteousness and the do's and don'ts of the character of God and, and what we can take out and put off as believers, what we should be putting on. I think a lot of times we think, man, Christianity is so restrictive. And I would say the more we walk in holiness and righteousness, the more human we are. Adam and Eve in the garden when they were perfect were the most human people that ever walked planet earth until Christ came. Christ, of course, was both human and divine, but man, he was the perfect human being. He, there's no one that walked earth that was more human than Christ. And so some, as we sin, we mar the image of God, and we mar humanity. And as a Christian, as we walk in righteousness and walk in holiness, man, we become more human. And so Paul says, let's put on Christ and you'll be molded into the image of your creator. And the overflow of putting on this new self or putting on Christ is that in our church community, there's unity, right? So, so there'll be unity in our community. And so Paul goes on in Colossians 3.11. Here, meaning in, in this body of Christ, there's, there's not Greek or and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and he's in all. So what's he saying? Well, inside the church there's unity, right? And so he goes through this list, right? And, and, and you being so far removed from the New Testament, I think sometimes we maybe don't understand the list, but, but you know, the Greeks were considered the privileged of society, Right? And, and, and listen, if, you're, if you grew up in America, like you're, you're the privileged among the world. You, you might not believe that, but you are. That's one of the reasons I encourage you to go take a mission trip. Like one thing a mission trip will do is just make you go, wow. You, you'll realize your own personal privilege. And, and, and listen, we have this dichotomy coming in our, in our culture, right? This new growing trend of privilege, you don't know what I've been through. You've been privileged. And we're, we're equating that to maybe skin color or the fact that you grew up in a family with a, one mom and mom and dad that stayed married and we make it economic. All, I don't know. It's all kinds of things attached. So I don't even know what it means. But Paul's addressing that, that in the church, man, the, the Greeks were considered the privileged. The barbarians were considered low and lower still were the Scythians, Right? So, uh, you know, so there's the Greeks. And then there's the Jews, he said. And the Jews, they considered themselves privileged with God. Why? Because they had received the law and the prophets and even the Messiah came through the Jews. So under the roof of the church, man, there's people that, that really in some ways did, maybe did grow up with a cultural privilege. And there's some that grew up maybe un, what we call underprivileged. But in the roof of the, under the roof of the church, under the domains of the body of Christ, man, there's unity in that. And we're to love one another, we're going to get to that and support one another. And, and Paul says, listen, Christ is to be adored in the first place because by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ is all, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's in all. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, Christ lives inside of you. And there's, there's just this thing as a, a secondary Christian. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, listen, the, uh, you've heard this said before, the, the foot of the cross, it's all level. Because if you're here and you're a Christian, it means, man, I'm a rebellious, broken mess. I have rebelled against the character of our God, and I am in need of saving from the penalty of my sin. And I acknowledge that Jesus, the God-man, died for my sin. God poured out his hatred and wrath on Jesus on my behalf. They laid him in a grave. Three days later, he conquered the grave. And I am bowing a knee in humility, accepting that Jesus is my Savior. And if you're here 
here this morning, we're all the same at the foot of the cross. There's no man, that sin is worse than my sin. And we do that even in church world, right? Like, man, at least, at least I'm not that one. And if that's your mentality, if there's a particular sin, that if that kind of person and wrestling with that particular sin starts coming to coastal and you don't like it, you haven't understood the gospel. You haven't understood the gospel. You haven't applied your own brokenness yet. And so every sinner is welcome here to find the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to yield on what the Bible calls sin, but, man, we are going to offer the gospel to anybody that walks in the doors of this church. Because, man, there's a humility that, man, the, the Christ is in all believers because we've all bowed a knee, acknowledged our need and, and bowed a knee. There's no, there's no place in the church for disunity, whether it be based on race or culture or socioeconomic upbringing. Why? Because Christ is all, and he's in all through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says we're putting on the new, and it's lived out in in the community through unity. And then Paul says, now here, here are the attitudes towards one another in our community. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive and by the way, I want you to notice something here. I'm, I'm going I'm to press, which I don't do often, but I'm going to press on a hot button in Christian circles because I think this is essential to understand in order for us to understand how, why and how we can be humble towards one another. Paul starts this section by reminding us, he says, put on then, and then he does a side note, as God's chosen ones. What's he talking about? Talking about the doctrine of election, which Paul unpacks in Romans 9. I'm not going to flip over there, but the, but the idea is if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, it's because before the foundation of the world, God set his affections on you, and he said, man, I'll take that one no matter what. It's mine. They're my child. I'm going to save them. I'm going to adopt them, and they're mine. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian— you're a Christian because God loved you. You want to know why he loved you? Because. Well, that doesn't make sense. There's got to be a, maybe, you know. Listen, there's a really bad teaching out there, and I've heard this. Maybe you've heard this. You know, where a pastor's wrapping up a sermon, and he said, well, God made his choice, box check. Satan made his choice, box check. Now, you've got to make your choice. As if somehow your choice is equal to God's choice. Terrifying, Right? No, if you're here today, you're a Christian. It's because God chose you before the foundation of the world. And some of you are adoptive parents, and you know this to be true. You set your affections on a child and brought them into your home. Why? Because you love them, period. 
this isn't squashing choice, right? And I don't know how the mystery of all this, and I end a lot of sermons by challenging you, if you're here today and you're lost, like, you know, repent and believe today, my job's to offer the gospel, but listen, our humility towards one another is, is rooted in the fact that God loved us as a community because... Don't think that you or me or anybody else brought something unique to the table that, man, the church just needed in order to go forward. God loved you, and it humbles us in our love and in our affection towards one another. God chose us because, and he made us holy, and he made us beloved. Why? Because it pleased him to do so, plain and simple. And that's very humbling, right? I mean, we can't know grace if we think we've brought something to the table. It's not, man, you know, God did his 90% and you brought 10. God did it all. And he loved you and he saved you from beginning to end because that's what he wanted to do. And so as we serve together, man, and you're a believer, you're no different than me. We are a part of the family of God because God adopted us, plain and simple. John 15, Jesus said, you do not choose me. What did he say? It's, you guys don't even want to say it. Let's try to get any. You did not choose me, but what? What did he say? I chose you. And what did he do? I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Which, by the way, I love that because it also means when we're in Christ, we've been chosen in Christ, we serve Christ, we do spiritual things for the praise and fame of Christ. That fruit abides, it's lasting, it's eternal. And it doesn't just burn up with you know, the day my life, my, I breathe my last. It doesn't end because we're serving the Lord and He's eternal. And so since we are chosen, we're his chosen children, we are humble towards each other. Why? Because of God's incredible love and mercy and grace towards each other. And so Paul says because of that, in the community called the church, okay, the community of faith, we're to, we're to have, number one, a couple things. We're to have compassionate hearts towards one another. We're to, it's, uh, compassionate hearts is the idea of love that's characterized by mercy, and we're to have kindness towards one another. And the kindness is the idea of goodness expressed through gracious acts. We serve one another and we see what another person might need and we help meet that need. And, and we're a humble people. That means others are more important than you. And by the way, this, this is really unique to the ancient world. In the ancient world, about the time these letters were being penned, Humility was always seen as an extreme weakness. Nobody in the ancient world highlighted humility. Nobody highlighted, you know, thinking of others as more important than yourself. This is really, really unique to, to Christianity and the teaching of Christ. That's why Philippians 2 is such an important passage of Scripture in helping us understand the mind of Christ, that he humbled himself. And we're to model that. It means, listen, it means when you walk in here on a Sunday morning. Now, if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, man, I'm glad you're here. And I hope by the power of the Spirit and the preached Word, God saves your soul. But if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're not walking in like this. Man, what can I get out of this day? Why isn't anybody talking to me? I can't believe this. What, me, 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 I, 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 I. It means the blinders are off. And you go, what do others need from me? Yes? What can I give? How can I help? Can I listen? That person's over in the corner, man. They look, they look hurting. Maybe I can go over and pray with them. Ask what's going on. I can't mention prayer enough when the prayer leader is in the service. Uh, 
It's meekness, Paul says. It's meekness. Meekness is, is the idea of not needing to display your own strength. It's power under control. That, that's what's in the Christian community. Patience. Patience is long-suffering, willing to put up with others. Not growing ang- quickly angered with one another, right? We're patient. I, listen, the Lord this week, I am impatient. I, I'm reminded this week how impatient I am. It's hard. And I'll tell you, when you start praying for patience, and what does God give you? He doesn't give you patience. He gives you opportunity, right? And, you know, I was in the checkout line, express lane, 12 items, right? Some of y'all are laughing because you do the same thing I do. You start counting the person in front of you. One, two, three, four. That's 14, says 12, and I'm, letting, I'm extending grace with a dozen eggs. I'm only counting that as one, all right, you know, so, man, I did that, and my, you know, my mind was going, and I'm frustrated, I'm in a, this is about me, I got to get home, you know, and I never for a moment thought, gee, I wonder if they've had a bad day, right, or if they flunked math, okay, so I don't know, Man, we, we should be patient with one another. See, when you're humble, when you understand, man, I'm, I'm a part of the family of God because God loved me. And guess what? God loved them too. It should be a place of patience, forgiving one another. Paul says, forgive as you've been forgiven. The, the church is, is no place for grudges. Now listen, that doesn't mean... That doesn't mean if a brother or sister is in sin that we don't go address that sin and say, man, let's, you know, there's a place, and we're going to get this in a minute, there's a place for admonishing one another. It's kind of the, the negative part of truth and Scripture, like approaching a brother and sister in Christ to make it right. But, but it also means if a person asks forgiveness, like, like we're quick to forgive. It doesn't, forgiveness, by the way, is different than trust. That doesn't mean we don't give some steps to rebuild trust so our trust bank can trust a person again. But, but forgiveness is, you know what, I'm letting you off the hook. God is the God of vengeance. I, I don't have to, t- vengeance is not up to me. Vengeance will be up to the Lord. I, I can forgive you. I'll let God take care of whatever God, and, and, and I'm now freed up to love and be meek and humble and, and those kind of things. Right? Matthew 18, right? That's the story Jesus told. When talking about forgiveness, what did he say in Matthew 18? He told a story of a king who had a servant that owed him a lifetime of work worth of money. It was a whole lifetime. This, this servant could never, ever, ever, ever repay. So the king brings him in and says, I need, I need, I'm collecting debts. I need you to repay me. And the servant throws him in and he says, if you don't, I'm going to sell your family, sell your kids, and the servant throws himself at the feet of the king and says, man, forgive me, I'll pay it back. You could never repay it, but he says, anyway, I'll pay it back. And the king forgives him. He says, you know what, I forgive you, you're free to go. And what's his servant do with that big, huge offering of forgiveness? He goes down, finds somebody that owes him about a week's worth of wages. It's another servant of the king. And this person owed a week's worth of wages and finds that person. He says, hey, you owe me a week's worth of wages. I want it now. And the, and the person says, I don't have it. Would you give me time? I'll pay it back. And so what's the servant do to the other servant? He takes that servant. He throws him into jail, separates him from his family. Word gets back to the king that the guy that owed him a lifetime worth of resources had thrown someone else in the jail that only owed a week's worth of resources. And he takes that servant. He throws him into jail. And Jesus finishes the text by saying, this will happen to you if you're not generous with forgiveness towards one another. Oof. 
Man, we're, we forgive one another. And if you're here this morning and, and you choose a different service because you don't want to run into so-and-so because there's a grudge, there's a conversation that needs to take place. And if, that, and if that conversation doesn't bear the fruit of forgiveness and reconciliation, then you need to grab a pastor or elder and we sit down with two or three brothers and we try to resolve it for the good of the kingdom. Why? Because this is a place of forgiveness. And the purpose of Jesus' story in Matthew 18 is that every single one of us owes a debt to the king of kings that we could never repay. And that's why the church is no place for, man, that person who's struggling with that particular sin, they can't come in here and worship with us, or they can't come in here and investigate the gospel. The church is no place for that, because when we do that, we're saying your particular sin is worse than my particular sin. And we have zero at that point understanding of the gospel, which is God is 100% completely holy, and your sin, whatever it is in your mind that's so small, reeks in his holiness and deserves his judgment. And that judgment was borne out by his son, Jesus Christ. And that message goes to all. Yes, we're a community of forgiveness. Paul says this, so put these things on. And so summing up community life, he says, put these things on, verse 14, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here's what he's saying. Love is kind of the belt that binds it all together. So verse 12 and 13, compassion and kindness and forgiveness, like these are the things that, that, that should, should, should be what a church looks like, but love is the motivator. Love is the belt that if we're in Christ and Christ is above all, then guess what we love? We love what Christ loves. And what does Christ love? He loves his people. That's why this letter started by Paul addressing the church, the Christians, as saints. The person you're sitting next to, if they're a believer, is considered by God to be a saint. That should change your marriage. Your spouse is a saint of God. Yes? There's the happy marriages. Okay, so, um, yeah, it'll change. You'll be happier, all right, if you go home and you just look at your spouse and go, man, you're a saint. I'm, I can't believe I get to be married to you. That'll change your marriage. In order to be compassionate and kind and humble and meek, patient, and the belt of truth binds it all together. And we love God, man. We love each other. I, I suspect, I suspect that most non-churchgoers, if I said describe the church, what do you think about the church? I suspect most of them would not say, man, the church is compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient and forgiving and loving. I suspect most would not say that. Now, let me, let me bracket it a little bit with what I just said. We, we live in a culture that, as a church, we have to take a stand on holiness and righteousness, what the Bible calls righteous and true and good. And if we don't, then we're not offering people real life, right? We can't because the wages of sin is death, and so we don't want people to be on the path of death. And so the culture's demanding that we call righteousness, demanding we call sin righteousness and righteousness sin, and we can't do that. The Bible's defined that for us, okay? So there's times that the church has to, as best we can, in a loving heart posture, say, no, this is still true and right and good, and we have to offer sin as sin so that you can find redemption and freedom from sin so that you can, so you can know 
you know, the freedom of abiding in Christ and knowing Christ. But all that aside, without that caveat, I still don't think the bulk of the world would say, man, the church is kind and compassionate, giving. Jesus said, man, if you love one another, he said this to his disciples, if you guys love each other, the world will come flocking to you, yes? Because, man, there's something different going on in that community. Now, now, let me say this. I think Coastal, all in all, works really hard at that. I think this is a church where you can come, you can investigate Christ no matter where your starting point is, and people love you and want to help you find Christ and know Christ. I really believe that, right? And I want to encourage us to continue you know, to do that, to be a people that loves Christ and compassion towards one another. But my goodness, we have an opportunity in a culture where it's getting more sarcastic and hurtful and ugly towards one another. We have the opportunity as a church to be a beacon of light of a people that love one another. Yes? Let's continue to do that. How do we do that? Well, we put on Christ, which means we put on love which results in this. It's Christ above all. When Christ is above all, Paul says you live with the peace of Christ. Paul says in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And so if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, You're bound together with love and unity and compassion. And guess what? The peace of Christ rules in your heart. That means we trust his will. We trust his ways. We trust his word. We rest in his sovereignty, which leads to unity in the body of Christ, which then leads to thanksgiving. And And there's a problem in our culture, even in Christian culture, and this problem that I continue to, it's just, it, to me, it's growing. It's a growing need in the body. And I, I don't have all the solutions, but, man, one of the things I keep hearing more and more of is anxiety. Man, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. And to be sure, there's times it's medical, right? You can go to the doctor and get some help medically because we're body, soul, and spirit. We need to make sure the body's right. But, but I think, to be sure, as believers, many of us are not growing in the peace of Christ. We're not resting in his word, right? So, man, I'm anxious because, you know, maybe there's a promise of the Lord I forgot. Maybe I don't even know the promise of the Lord because I'm not in the word on a regular basis or reminding myself. I'm anxious because I really don't know if the church body will be there to support me if I need help. There's just this growing anxiety where, man, where's the peace of God? And let me tell you something. I heard this this week, and it, it was like, mind blown, right? Like, there's nothing greater than being fully known and still being loved. Like, you can be, if, if I told you you're loved, but you're not, you haven't disclosed all your junk to me, then you, you're walking around with, man, I don't know if he really, like, if I really told him who I was, then... He wouldn't love me. So let me start. Number one, that starts with God in Christ. You're fully known and loved anyway. Isn't that great news? Like that frees you up. And the church should be an overflow of that. It's a place where I can be fully known and loved anyway. Why? Because you can tell people, I'm in Christ and I'm in the process of putting off. So as we're putting off our sin, we should have brothers and sisters in Christ that we can tell about our sin and they're not going, oh my goodness. 
No, like fully known, loved anyway. And by the way, that's what makes a Christian marriage so important. Don't, if your marriage is struggling, and I've said this many times, your marriage is for your sanctification. What a great thing to have a spouse that knows all your garbage and loves you anyway, right? Fully known but loved anyway. It's peace of Christ. But I read this passage last, uh, yesterday. I try to read a psalm each day. and I don't, Psalm 147, I, I don't think it, maybe, I don't know. I don't think it's on the screen. But the end of the psalm, Psalm 147 is, is the the psalmist is rejoicing in all of the laws of Christ. Man, can you believe how much God has revealed to us? Can you believe how much God has shown us? Can you believe how much God you know, has given us his law and given us that we know about God? And then he finishes the final two verses and he says, he declares his word to Jacob and his statutes and rules to Israel. So in other words, he's like, he's given us the word, he's given us, the law, he's given us his rules. And then he says this in verse 20, He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They don't know his rules. Praise the Lord. God gave us his rules. No one else knows about them. How awesome is this, right? So let me apply it to you. Ready? Let me apply this. now, Now it goes from it's funny to meddling. God has called us as a body of believers to be pure sexually pornography and internet and dating, if you're dating someone, right? It should be purity. And as you're dating someone and you're striving for purity, the, 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 the posture should not be, man, God's so restricting. No, the, the, the posture should be, man, God has given us his rules for purity and we get to obey them and that's good for us. Yes? Because when you don't, what happens? The peace of Christ leaves. Or imagine if I did a sermon today on tithing. Listen, guys, the Word of God says we get to give a tenth, and God blesses for this, and God expects generosity from us, and He's given this to His people, and no one else knows about it. Isn't this great? That's why I don't produce my sermon calendar in advance, because y'all pick and choose the ones you came to, right? I'm not coming that way. Yeah, maybe. Right? I could go on and on. The reason there's, some of you are here, man, you're struggling with gender confusion. It's a real thing. It's a real struggle. This is a place you can struggle. But here's, here's what I'm going to encourage you with. Your identity should be in Christ. And when your identity's in Christ, you realize, going back to the first verse of today, as I know the word, I'm being molded in the image of my creator who knows what's good for me. So God created us with different genders, men and women. And as I identify with Christ, I learn to appreciate my gender. And as a culture of Christians, we understand there's differences between the genders. And that's not a bad thing. We need the genders so that we can celebrate better together. Yes? And so the identity is, man, I'm in Christ. He's made me the, way, the gender I am, and I can identify with my gender because the Creator didn't make a mistake. Right? And so I can look at Psalm 147, and I can go, He gave us His rules, and only His people know about it. Isn't this great? And we get to celebrate together the law of God. 
It's Christ above all. When we do what Christ has told us, man, we have peace with Christ. Number three, or be here, wor- the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ, verse 16, dwell ri- in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thanksgiving in your hearts. I could preach a whole sermon on how Paul here calls the scriptures the word of Christ. So don't walk out here and go, man, I just love Jesus. I don't need all the rules. No, the the scriptures are who Christ is. And he says that we dwell in and we let the word of Christ dwell rich in teaching and admonishing. Teaching is a positive. It's using the, the scriptures in a way that's positive to build us up. And admonishing is kind of a negative connotation. Like, man, sometimes we need to hear the truth and it needs to be hard a little bit so it sinks in. And, and you guys do this in your parenting. You probably do it without knowing it sometimes, right? But like, like, like your kid has, does something and your kid may need discipline or grace. How do you tell, right? Because he says you do teaching and admonishing in all wisdom. How do you know which way you're supposed to lean, teaching or admonishing? To me, I look for heart posture. If there's a humble heart posture, man, we can give more grace. If there's a hard heart posture, man, I might need to give a little more admonishment, okay? Boom. But anyway, that's another sermon for another day. But depending on age and not abusive and all that stuff, but there's a, there's a way for that, okay? And... Um, <clears throat> And so, you know, we lean into the way that we need to go, and wisdom properly applies the truth. And, and Josh, I'm going to skip a slide here for time's sake, but, um, and so wisdom tells us how to apply the word. And Paul says, and the overflow of properly applying the word is what? What's the overflow of properly applying the word of God? What's it say? What's that pastor say? I'm not even going to put the verse up. I'm going to make you look in your Bible, okay? What's it say? Singing, right? Singing. When the word's probably applied, man, we're excited about the Lord. And we gather corporately and we sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. One of the neat things is on the weeks that I don't preach, I get to, I get to stand out in the lobby, right? And I love that. And when I stand in the lobby, I know people are like, oh, man, I'm late. There's the pastor. You know, you try to slide by and... And, and I get it. Like, I get it. Don't, don't take this as an overly chastising thing. All right, I get it. Like, there's weeks, like the kids and the car and the breakfast and, you know, whatever. And it goes on and on. And you just have a hard time getting there. And I get it. And, th- and when that week happens and you come anyway, thank you so much. But here's what I do struggle with. At 930, this auditorium is a third full. It's a third full. And I'm like, man. We wouldn't show up work to work late. We wouldn't show up to school late. You'd lose your job. And so my question is, man, is the word of God dwelling in us richly throughout the week that we see God working, we get to be a part of the thing, kingdom of God, doing things, you know, serving the Lord and watching the Lord work, and then we gather corporately. It's like, man, I'm so, I cannot wait to get with the body of Christ and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together. I'm excited. I'm so excited, I might get there by the third song. And so church, like, just be my, like, we get to gather. And there's a lot of cultures that don't get to gather without the fear, without tremendous amounts of fear and pressure. We get to gather, and it's the overflow of the word dwelling among us. I want to encourage you, be here on time so we can sing together psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And Paul finally says, and to live for Christ. And whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think what Paul's saying here is that everything we do in life is an opportunity to worship the Lord. 
I want you to hear again. I hear you all putting your stuff away. Everybody listen to me. Everything we do in life is an opportunity to worship the Lord. Serving your family, serving your church, serving your boss, serving your children, cleaning your house, emptying the dishwasher, standing in the express line with somebody that can't count. All of these things are opportunities to worship the Lord. Because when I stood in the express line and I was irritated, I didn't think, man, I bet you that person's having a bad day. And I missed an opportunity to worship the Lord. No matter what we do, every day, Paul's saying, man, we can bring worship to God and it doesn't go unnoticed by God. I want to put up a slide and then we'll close with prayer this morning. Check out this slide. This is how many people we've had the privilege so far this year to baptize, over 25 People that have stood and made public professions of faith saying, you know what, I used to live for myself, I'm now living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is my master, my boss, my savior, and they made public professions. And the reason I put this slide up for you is not to count and go, man, that's cool, or man, it's not good enough, or whatever. The reason is this, like, is these are changed lives. These are people say, I used to live for myself, and now I'm living for Christ. These are people that some of you know these are, some of these are, are children who, who their parents, through the ordinary means of life, by doing dishes and doing laundry and changing diapers and modeling Christ in their home, everything they did was unto the Lord as worship. And guess what happened to their children? The gospel was caught. And some of these are co-workers. You worked with them and you served with them. And man, and, and man they, got, you know, they saw you and then one day they asked a question and you got to minister the gospel to them. And the gospel was caught through the ordinary stuff. Some of them are people that came into this large church sanctuary. They didn't know anybody, but you're a faithful greeter. And they felt, man, they felt welcomed when you came in. And they heard the gospel and their life was transformed. Some of them are parents who drop their kids off nervously for the first time because you don't want to leave your kids in a strange place. But you, as a children's worker, made them feel welcome. And so they were able to sit and relax and the Holy Spirit worked and the gospel was caught. And that's why the apostle Paul says, man, in all that we do, we put on Christ. Sometimes it's for years, but people are watching and we put on Christ and we put on Christ and we put on Christ. And Paul says, and so whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our lives speak the gospel when we put on Christ. Yes, in the ordinary, in the ordinary. So church, I want to encourage you, put on Christ. This week, walk in righteousness. Put off and put on, put off and put on, put off and put on. By the power of the Holy Spirit, as a Christian, you can put off and you can put on as an act of worship. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. It's powerful. Forgive me for the times, God, I'm so short-sighted. I, I kind of like the people of Israel, I want to go back to Egypt, man. I want to do the old thing, and I've, instead of putting off the old nature, I, I continue to live in it. I want to do that, God. I want to put on Christ so that in all that I do, the ordinary people see, and the kingdom of God goes forward. The glory of Christ is uplifted, and what a, what a privilege to be a part of heralding the gospel the people may be saved from the penalty of their sin. They may know their creator and they would know the freedom of knowing their creator. And so as a church body today, God, we, we put on Christ. 
kindness and compassion and mercy. We put on Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.